How many of you have ever had a friend that your parents did not like? How many of you have ever had a friend that your parents were not a huge fan of? When I was in high school, my best friend was a girl by the name of Reagan. And Reagan and I did everything together. We played on the same basketball team. We were in a lot of the same classes at school. We had a lot of similar interests and, and hobbies. But there was just one problem with Reagan. My parents did not like her. In fact, my parents honestly couldn't stand her. And that's because Reagan had a little bit of a reputation. She had a reputation that preceded her. She was known for being a little bit crazy, and she was known for not always making the, the best decisions, not always making the wisest decisions. And that really created a lot of, of tension with my parents. So much so that whenever I wanted to hang out with Reagan, whenever I wanted to spend time with her, my parents practically interrogated me. They wanted to know where I was going, who was I going to be with, what time I was going to be home. And at the beginning, I kind of understood where my parents were coming from, right? Like, they didn't know Reagan that well. They didn't really know much about her other than that she didn't have a great reputation. And so I kind of understood it. I kind of understood that they had questions about who I was going to be hanging out with and where I was going to be going. But after years and years of, of friendship, I was constantly being asked the same questions. Almost like my parents didn't trust me. Years and years later, they constantly felt the need to, to ask about Reagan, all because she was known as my friend who was always getting into trouble. Have you ever known someone like that? Someone who has a reputation that preceded them. Maybe it's a friend who has a reputation for something dumb that they said. Maybe it's a family member who has a reputation for a bad decision that they've made. And regardless of all the good that person has done, that seems to be the thing that they are known for. Like when people think about that person, that's what they think of, even though it's not an accurate picture of who they are now. Well, tonight we are in week three of our teaching series called Hall of Fame. And believe it or not, the Bible actually has its, its very own Hall of Fame, which we often call the, the Hall of Faith. And throughout this series, we are looking at several of the names that are listed in this Hall of Faith. We are taking an up-close and a personal look at their lives, their biggest successes, their biggest failures, ultimately to see what we can learn from their story of faith. But to fully understand their faith, we have to first understand what faith really is, which is why in week one we answered the question, what is faith? Faith is not a feeling. It isn't blind trust. Faith is not even just the, the power of positive thinking. Biblical faith is a belief that leads to an action. And scripture tells us that our faith begins the moment that we are saved. The moment that we place our, our trust in Jesus. But our faith is also played out every day in our lives after that. Specifically in the things that we cannot see and the things that haven't happened yet. 
But it's also important that we understand the, the significant role that our faith plays in our everyday life. Which is why last week we looked at the story of a man by the name of, of Enoch. How many of you have ever heard of Enoch before? Enoch is one of the most interesting people in the Bible. Particularly, particularly because we don't actually know a whole lot about him. There's only five passages of scripture that actually talk about Enoch. But Enoch is one of the coolest people because he actually never experienced death. He was taken straight up to heaven to be with God. And we talked about last week that this was a direct result of his faith, of his daily walk with God. Which is why we looked at several practical ways that we can have a growing daily walk with the Lord. So tonight, we're going to look at another person who's listed in the Hall of Faith, and it is a woman by the name of Rahab. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, it says this, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are introduced by, to a woman by the name of, of Rahab. Everybody say Rahab. Now, chances are you have probably never heard of Rahab before, and there's a reason for that. Rahab had a really bad reputation. She had a really bad reputation. In fact, Rahab was a prostitute, meaning that she sold her body for money. She lived a very sexually immoral lifestyle. Not only was prostitution her occupation, it was also her identity. It was like who she was. When people heard the name Rahab, the first thing that they associated her with was a prostitute. And this reputation, it had followed her around for years. I'm sure that in the society that she lived in, people did not have a good first thought whenever they thought about her. She was not someone that we would consider to be well-liked and loved in society. But even though Rahab didn't have the, the best of reputations, she's actually one of only two women who are listed in the Hall of Faith. So what is it about her that landed her here? So to answer that question, we're going to jump back in, in our Bibles to the book of, of Joshua. The book of Joshua is located at the beginning of the Old Testament. And in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, let me give you a little bit of, of context as to what is happening here. After 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness, it is finally time for the Israelites to, to take the promised land. It is finally time for them to enter the land that God has given to them so many years before. But almost immediately, as they're beginning to, to make plans to take the promised land, they're faced with a pretty significant problem. And this problem is the city of Jericho. You see, in order for them to, to take the promised land, the land that, that God had given to them, they were first have to, going to have to conquer this city of Jericho. And this was no small task. 
Like this was not going to be something easy for them to do. Jericho was a very well-protected city. A lot of Bible scholars think that there was actually a wall that was over 15 feet tall that surrounded the city, making it almost impossible for the Israelites to know what they were dealing with. If they would have tried to, to invade the city, they would be going in blind, not knowing what was on the other side of those walls. So Joshua, who has now replaced Moses as leader of the Israelites, he begins to, to come up with this plan. He decides to send two spies, two of his men, into the city to, to scout out the city and to report back to him. That way they could begin to develop a game plan for how they were going to conquer the city. They could begin to develop a plan of attack for how they were going to take over the, the city of Jericho. And as the spies enter the, the city, they find themselves at the home of a woman named Rahab. It's believed that Rahab's house actually sat right on the outside of the city, right by the city wall. Not only would this have benefited her for her job in order for people to, to come and go quietly, this also would have been a good place for the spies to, to hide out in order to, to be undetected, in order to, to not be caught. In chapter or verse 2, it says this, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. So almost immediately after these spies enter Rahab's house, the king of Jericho finds out what's going on. Somehow he catches wind that there's spies in his city. He catches wind that they're in danger of being conquered. And so what does he do? He tries to, to retaliate. He sends his soldiers out into the city to try and locate the spies and capture them. That way they wouldn't be able to get information back to, to Joshua and to the Israelite men. And so somehow the, the soldiers find out that, that Rahab is involved. They suspect that these spies are, are hiding out at, at Rahab's house. And so these soldiers, what they do is they show up on her doorstep. I can imagine they're pounding on the door, banging, trying to get in because they know that, that Rahab is hiding the spies. Look at what happens next in verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to, to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. You see, instead of turning over the spies, Rahab actually decides to hide them on the roof of her house. And when she answers the door with the king's men standing on the other side, she lies in order to protect these spies. She tells the soldiers, hey, listen, I'm not sure where they're at. In fact, I think they might have gone over there. Maybe you should go check that side of the city. She essentially sends the, the soldiers on a wild goose chase throughout the city looking for, for these spies. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Yes, Rahab did the, the right thing in that she protected the, the spies, but she also lied in the process. And doesn't the Bible talk about how lying is a sin? 
Now, to, to answer your question, yes, lying is a sin. And the Bible is actually very clear about that. But the lie that Rahab told to the soldiers is different than you lying to your parents about whether or not you've done your homework. And here's why. This lie that Rahab tells, it takes place within the context of war. In that moment, it is a life or death situation. And when she chooses to lie to the soldiers, in a sense, what she has done is she has aligned herself with the Israelite people. More specifically, she has aligned herself with the God of Israel. And now, because she has done that, it is her role, it is her job to protect the spies at all costs. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on all of us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we've heard what you did, what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So as the, the spies are, are kind of settling in for, for the night, Rahab goes up to the roof to, to check on them. And as she's checking on them, they, they strike up a little bit of a conversation. And Rahab begins to, to tell them that she has heard of all of the different miracles that God has been performing. She has heard about all of the different ways that God has been faithful to protect the Israelites. She's heard that, that he dried up the, the waters of the Red Sea when they were escaping Egypt. She's heard how they've conquered other cities and, and other rulers. She's heard of the faithfulness over and over and over of how God has protected the Israelites. And here's the thing. She has begun to, to understand that it is just a matter of time before they conquered Jericho. She's began to understand that it is just a matter of time before the Israelites conquer the, the place that, that she calls home. Because over time, she's come to the realization that this is the land that God has given to them. So what does she do? She actually makes a, a request of the spies. She says, listen, because you have protected me, or excuse me, because I have protected you, now I need you to protect me. When you come back, when you come back to, to ultimately conquer this land that, that I know is yours, I need to know that my family is going to be safe. I need to know that my family, the people that I care about most, are going to be protected. Look at how the, the spies respond in verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. 
for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. You see, as the spies were, were leaving, as they were getting ready to, to head out and to report back to, to Joshua, they made a, a covenant with Rahab. Since she had risked her life to, to protect them, they in turn would protect her. When the Israelites came back to, to conquer the city of Jericho, her family would be spared. But in order for that to happen, two conditions had to be met. Number one, she had to tie a, a scarlet cord, a scarlet piece of rope in her window. This cord, it would indicate that it was Rahab's house. This was the woman who had helped protect the spies. But not only did she have to, to tie the cord in her window, she also had to have all of her family inside. Her family all had to be under one roof. They couldn't be spread out. They couldn't be in the street. They had to be safe and protected in her house. And the spies tell her, listen, if we come back and these two conditions are met, then we will make sure that your family is safe. We will make sure that they will not be harmed. But if one of these two conditions aren't met, if that happens, then we can't guarantee that your family is not going to be conquered. You see, Rahab's belief in God led her to action. She risked her life protecting men that, that she did not even know. Why? Because she believed that the God of Israel was the one true God. For years, she had heard story after story after story of God's faithfulness. She had heard the, the news of what God was doing in and through the Israelite people. And at one point or another, she made the decision. She came to, to the realization that this God, the God of the Israelites, was the one true God. And she placed her faith and her trust in him. So much so, so that when the spies ended up on her doorstep that day, when she was faced with a decision as to if she was going to be a traitor to, to her, her city, the, the place that she called home, or if she was going to follow the Lord and protect the spies, she did not hesitate. She risked her life for men that she didn't even know because she knew that they had been sent by God. She knew that they were representatives of the God of Israel. And because of that, I want you to see how her story ends. Just a few chapters later in Joshua chapter 6, verse 22, it says this. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. 
So the young men who had done the spying went out and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hated the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And here's the cool part. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. What can we learn from from Rahab's story of faith? What can we learn from from this story of a woman from from over 2,000 years ago? You see, if God can use someone like Rahab, he can use anyone. No matter what someone's reputation is, no matter what someone has done, no matter how many mistakes that person has made, God can use anyone to accomplish his purpose for their life. You see, students, God's purpose for your life is not limited by your past. Why? Because your past is ultimately what does not define you. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus, the moment that you trust Jesus for salvation, the Bible says that you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, meaning that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and your past mistakes. Instead, he sees you the same way that he sees his son, Jesus. You have been forgiven. But, but here's the, the reality of this. Many times, this is not how we see ourselves. Even though we know that we have been forgiven, it's hard for us to, to actually believe. That's why so often many of us are guilty of carrying around the the guilt and the shame and the baggage from from our past mistakes. It's why we believe that this lie, that our reputation defines us. It's why we we believe that our identity is forever tied to, to who we were in our past. And it's why so many times in the back of our mind, we are consistently asking ourselves the question, how can God ever use me? Listen, Rahab had every reason to believe that she could never be used by God. She had a reputation that seemed impossible to escape. She experienced judgment and scrutiny for her former lifestyle. She made mistake after mistake after mistake. And if we're being honest, Rahab is someone that we would look at and that we would have immediately discounted. She's someone that we would have looked at and said, there's no way God could ever use her. And if anyone would have had the right to live with shame and regret, it would have been her. But listen, she saw a brand new creation and her courageous moment of faith was proof of that. Later in life, Rahab went on to to marry a prince. 
She became a woman of influence and power. She raised a family who loved God and who faithfully followed after God. And here's the coolest part. Rahab is even listed in scripture as part of the family line through which Jesus came. God's purpose for Rahab's life was not limited by her past mistakes. And here's the good news, the same is true for you. No matter what kind of reputation you might think you have, no matter the, the way that you think other people see you, no matter how many mistakes that you've made, listen, your past does not define you. Because if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have trusted him for salvation, ultimately, that's what defines you. And God, he desires to use every part of your story, even the, the messy parts, even the parts that you think he might never be able to use in order to fulfill his purpose for your life. And listen, I stand up here tonight as someone who would tell you, I wish I understood this so much sooner in my own life. You know, when, when I was in high school, I'll just be, be completely transparent. The last thing that, that I could have cared about was my faith. It, it was not a priority for me. I wasn't connected at a church. I wasn't living a, a godly life. Instead, I had this overwhelming desire to, to fit in and be well-liked. And I cared so much about what other people thought of me. So much so that it influenced every decision that I made. It influenced who my friends were. It influenced who I was dating. It influenced what I did for fun. And that season of my life where, where I was not walking with the Lord is not a season that, that I'm proud of. I made a lot of mistakes that I, that I wish I wouldn't have. And for a while, I used to look back on, on that time and I kind of played the, the what if game. You know, what if I had made better decisions to who I was dating? What if I had made better decisions about the friends that I let into my inner circle? What if I had been more connected at, at church and was surrounded by more godly influences and ultimately those what-ifs led to a lot of, of regret and guilt for, for decisions that I made. And it wasn't until I was in college, years later, that I finally began to understand how God saw me. Because I had placed my faith and my trust in Jesus, I was no longer defined by my past mistakes. My identity was no longer tied to, to my reputation or to what other people thought about me. And looking back on that time in my life, I have seen how God has been able to use me every step of the way even despite all of my own shortcomings and my mistakes. So as we wrap up tonight, I just want you to, to consider a, a simple question. I just wanna leave you with, with a simple question to, to think about. 
is there something in your past that is preventing you from fully letting God use you? Is there something in your past that is fully preventing you from letting God use you? Maybe it's a sin that you've struggled with. Maybe it's a a reputation that you still feel like defines you. Maybe it's a, a bad decision that you've made and you feel like other people know about it. Listen to me, you will never fully experience the freedom that comes only through Jesus until you begin to see yourself the same way that God sees you. And he sees you as a new creation. Because listen, if God can use a woman with a reputation like Rahab's, who made mistake after mistake after mistake, then he can use each one of us in this room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that even though each one of us in this room has made mistakes, we have a past, we have things in our life that that we're not proud of, God, that you accept us just as we are. And that if we have made the, the decision to place our trust in you for salvation, then God, you don't see us through the lens of of our past mistakes, through the lens of, of our shortcomings and our failures and our reputations. God, you see us the same way that you see your son. We are a a brand new creation. But God, so many times we get get caught up in, in the past. We struggle to to see ourselves the the way that you see us. We carry around the the baggage of regret and shame and guilt, and we believe this lie that you're never gonna be able to use us. God, I pray tonight that if there's any student in here who's become entangled in that lie, who's begun to to believe that they are never going to be able to to be used by you. God, I pray tonight that you would remind them of how precious and how important they are to you. That when you look at them, you don't see their shortcomings and their failures and their mistakes. You see them for exactly who they are, a brand new creation. God, I thank you that you love each one of us so much. That you desire for us to walk in that new identity. You desire for each one of us to see ourselves the same way that you see us. And Father, I thank you that you loved us enough not to leave us stuck in our mess but to use us 
even despite our shortcomings and our failures. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.